You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. This is Coach Jen from Ocala, Florida. And this is Jacqueline Tiley from Fort Collins, Colorado. And you are listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network. Tuesday, March 21st, 2003. And this is episode 3142. This episode is brought to you by the Certified Horsemanship Association. Good morning, horse world. Houston, we have a problem. Ability equals skill plus knowledge. I got a bad feeling about this. Here's a safety tip for you from the Certified Horsemanship Association. Missed it by that much. How can I change this to make it better the next time? Time for Training Tuesday on Horses in the Morning with the Certified Horsemanship Association. On today's show, we have two guests who will be speaking to different aspects of the field of equine assisted services. So equine assisted services, big term, a lot of people might not be familiar with it. So we're going to delve well into that rabbit hole. But what have you been up to since we chatted last? You're a busy girl. Oh, well, lots of things have been happening in the CHA office. Um, First, I'm going to share some big news, and then I'm going to move on to um, many of the things that I've been up to. But the big news this week is our new executive director, Tammy Gaynor, has started, um, and she will be the... um, the person stepping in after me and I've really enjoyed my time. Um, and she is onboarding right now. Um, and since it's such a big shift, she will be joining us all next month in April, but we're really excited about that. Um, and a lot of people have been asking about it. So information is out there. The press release is out. We're just very excited as an organization because Tammy comes to us, um, with many years um, of involvement with CHA and as a CHA certifier. Woohoo! Yay. So big, big doings at the CHA. Yep, and very this, exciting. Yeah, this this show is going to be fun for me because I didn't realize that your your background is in equine assisted services. I didn't know. Uh huh. So I worked for many different associations in equine assisted services. Um, which is kind of that new all-important catch-all term, like you said, and it encompasses many things. Um, Everything from what's more therapeutic riding lessons um, to equine-assisted therapy, whether it's physical therapy, occupational therapy, or speech-language pathology, or the mental health side of things. Um, So all sorts of different things. Um, And actually... One of the things I feel like I've been so lucky this last month, Jen, um, I got an invite and was able to attend the um, National Snafflebit Association Foundation's Coaches Summit, and they were targeting Therapeutic Writing Center coaches um, and encouraging them to include 
um, riders with special needs in their programs in the National Snaffle Bit competition. And that happened February 20th through the 22nd. And I was there for two different days to network and learn more about that and get CHA um, instructors interested and involved. Interesting. And sort of the re- the reason this whole thing applies to CHA, of course, is you have a certification for these types of instructors. Te- tell me a little bit about that. Right. CHA has many certifications, but the um, fastest growing at this point in time is our IRD, which stands for Instruction of Riders with Disabilities. And when CHA first started this IRD certification program, we would have one or two certifications a year. Then it slowly grew to like three or maybe four. Last year, CHA had six IRD certifications. And already in 2023, we have over 12 on the calendar and a couple have already occurred. Wow. So you you refer to 12 certifications. That's not 12 individual persons. That's 12 certification sessions. Yes. And for um, these certifications, eight people go through at a time and they're five days in length. So it's a big wow. commitment. Um, all of CHA certifications are, are a time commitment, but um, the quality of the individuals that come out of them, that even go into them... Um, really is amazing. Um, and it really is an educational experience, even though individuals are there certifying, they are networking and, and learning from each other as they go through the process. So it's very hands-on. This is really cool because from my point of view, I've, I've gotten to know a few people over the years who are involved in equine assisted services in all of its many, many flavors. And a, it keeps horses and the the relationship of horses and humans at the fore because the press, the general press, outside of the horse world, understands the benefit of the horse-human bond when it, as it applies to equine-assisted services. Persons who have um, special learning needs can benefit in so many ways from working with horses and somebody who's watching the local news channel sees a piece on their local news they get that whereas when they see a piece on the local news about somebody competing and winning the junior equitation championship at the local show they might not be able to relate to that so it's a great (laughs) way because it it benefits the client Mm-hmm. the person who has special learning needs, but right. it also benefits the equine industry as a whole to keep these programs vibrant and keep them out there in the public eye. It's it's a win-win-win. Right. And it is interesting. I'll say in, in my time, and I've worked for national associations um, and international associations, I think it's also um, Really amazing how um, a lot of the programs talk about how transformational it is for the care provider um, as well, because they are able to step back a little bit and allow, um, whether it's their child or an individual in their care, to really flourish. Um, And so, like you said, it it isn't just about that individual. There's so many other aspects um, that 
that we hear about in the news. Um, and it benefits the whole family unit. That's true. You're right. The caregivers, the sometimes it's the siblings, the family members who are not maybe directly involved with care, but you're, they're still involved at, a, at the very least at an emotional level. So that's really cool. Well, yeah, we're going to stop chatting between ourselves about it, and we're going to get our first <laughs> guest, Debbie Holmes, on to chat a little bit about the foundation of Southern Oregon. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, and she's also going to talk a little bit about how they train horses they use with their riders um, with disabilities. So yeah, let's it's, go to Debbie. It's, it's not just a vacation for the horse. No, it is not. We have Debbie Holmes with us. Debbie is the program director for the Foundation of Southern Oregon. Uh, the foundation provides adaptive riding lessons to individuals with developmental disabilities. And Debbie has been working in the world of individuals with special needs for a number of years. And I'm going to let her share her journey in that area. But we have her today as one of our guests because Debbie is a CHA master instructor for English Western and Jumping. She's also one of CHA's master instructors and certifiers for the Instructors of Riders with Disabilities Certification Program, which is our largest growing certification program at this time. And we're really excited to have her talk today with us a little bit about, in this growing area, um, how horses are selected and trained to work with these individuals. But Debbie, if you would start by letting us know a little bit more about your equine background and what led you to CHA's IRD program? All right. So way decades ago, I, well, I've always had horses. I grew up on horses and showed. Um, I initially started in the industry as an Agala certified equine specialist. And then from there, I worked on several ranches with adjudicated kids. And then I landed at ASU where I was their horse care technologist. And it was actually there I started with individuals with disabilities. Uh, I got my PATH registered certification when I was there. From there, I moved on to um, Oregon and where I've been at the Foundation of Southern Oregon. And actually now I'm their supervising instructor. So I have several instructors in training getting ready for certification. So that's kind of in a nutshell um, where I've been. Um, the other thing I really um, had the privilege of doing was being the coach for a rider that went to World Games in L.A. at 2015. That was an honor of a lifetime. He was in Division A. He was so walk track canter, and he ended up, he was in three classes. He got two golds and a bronze. And that, that was amazing. That was an amazing experience um, that I, I probably never happened again, but I was, <laughs> I'll never forget. And Debbie, was that the Special Olympics World Games that was held in L.A.? Yes. Okay. Yes. At the L.A. Coliseum. And so when they had all the countries come in, um, the host country is last. And <laughs> that Coliseum, I thought, was going to go down. It was it was just amazing how it, the the noise and the every uh, I, I can't even put into words what that experience was like well i know that's definitely something to remember for a long time it is yes um 
Well, clearly you have a lot of experience working with, um, at a variety of different levels, riders with special needs. Um, and I know today we're going to talk a little bit more about um, what we look for as, or what you would look for as a therapeutic riding instructor um, in a horse, because um, having the right horse for these riders is really important. It, it is. So I have a process. Um, a lot of people will typically call centers when they are in a situation where they either can't keep their horse or their horse is not being used and, and they want it to be used at, a, at an adaptive riding center. So I, when I take the call, I have a um, questionnaire that I go through and then if it if that all looks good and probably two out of ten calls we actually they actually get through that questionnaire. A lot of folks meaning well want to donate old Nellie who's been in the pasture forever that they think would be really good with kids, but they don't understand the complexity of the position the horse fills, and so a lot of times that doesn't make it. So when we decide actually to go out to um, view the horse, we go out in pairs. One person is always filling out another form while the other one is inspecting the horse. So, but let me back up. When we go out, we have the owner get the horse, get them tied up because we, we want to observe how the horse behaves with the owner. Uh, we have them start grooming. And then I typically am the one that goes over their body, checking for anything that I can feel in their legs. Um, I check their temperament. I run my hands on their back, see how their back's doing. And then I'll have the owner saddle the horse because, again, we want it to observe how they do that and how the horse reacts to being saddled. Once they're ready to go, um, I'll take them and put them in a 10-meter circle to see if I can note any lameness. And if we do, then we stop right there. Um, it's always super important though, because these people that are considering either a lease or donation, they're doing it out of the generosity of their heart. So it's very important to be, to be gracious with them. If we see a problem in their horse, I never say, oh, your horse is lame. I'll say he looks a little bit off, do you want to have a vet check him out and get back to us? Because sometimes it could be something very minor, a little stone bruise or an abscess coming up, which will resolve and then make that horse a good candidate for the program. So once we've done that and everything looks good, typically I'll have the owner get on first. <laughs> We're getting too old <laughs> to be hopping on horses we don't know. Um, I've had situations where they couldn't, but if I can, I have the owner get on first and watch how they give aids to the horse. Do they use a lot of rain? Are they using more of their seat and legs? We just observe how the horse has been used um, with that owner. So once that is complete, then either myself or my partner will get on and then we'll really check the aids. Do they respond to, to legs? Are they a little dead-sided or a little bit too push-button? Um, how do they respond to seat? Do you have to use a lot of rain to get them to stop? So we put them through their paces, through walk, trot, canter. 
So then assuming that all looks good, then we ask if we can take the horse in for a 30 to 60 day trial. Um, if that's agreeable, then we bring the horse in and we'll take responsibility for minor cuts and, you know, little lacerations, that kind of thing. In our lease, though, it states if the horse should colic or get a, a major injury, then we would consult with the owner and the owner would have that responsibility. When the horse is in, it should always go into quarantine. You never want a new horse mixing with your herd. But while they're in quarantine, staff will get them out, walk first walk them around the property, let them see everything, kind of settle in a little bit. Once that process is done, then we start getting on them, uh, taking them through the different um, items that they may encounter in an arena. So cones and balls and rings, maybe a basketball hoop, uh, anything that we might use for our riders. And also then we, so this is the hard part for horses that come into these horses the ones that make it are worth their weight in gold. If then we try them with a horse leader, two sidewalkers, and we squiggly wiggly on their back. <laughs> that takes a lot of patience from the horse because inadvertently <clears throat> that rider's giving them aids, but the horse handler is telling them something else. So for them to tolerate that kind of situation when they're boxed in by people, they have a squiggly wiggly, maybe loud, that kind of thing on their back, it's very difficult. But if they do all that, they, they're good in the ramp, they're good in the mounting block, then typically they'll be accepted into the program. Usually also, um, we might have a vet come out and take a look at them just to make see that you know, they don't see anything that we missed. That's how they, that's how we'll accept them into a program. You, you know, Debbie, you talked a little bit. Um, I know I have some background in, um, as a therapeutic writing instructor, but you talked a little bit about, um, being squiggly wiggly on their backs, um, and having a leader, um, when do you bring in, when does your team bring in a leader and sidewalkers um, to a new horse that you're potentially looking at? Because that is very different than considering a horse um, and adding some training aspects to make sure that they're going to work in a therapeutic um, riding. Yeah. Program. So that'll come after we've got them, checked them out on the block, checked them out through the ramp. Um, so we do all the different mounts. So from a simple block to a block assist to a ramp assist to an over the crest mount, which is something they probably had never had. And then an over the crest dismount. So we check them on all those different mounts and dismounts that we need. If they're calm in that area, then that's when we'll start with um, the full team with them. That makes sense. And it does take the full team of volunteers all around them to do all of those mounts and dismounts. Some of them are, are much more involved. And, and is it necessary for every horse, um, at least at your program, it probably looks a little different at different programs to be able to do and handle all of those different things? Um, well, that depends. So say a program has a high need for 
uh, more narrow barreled horse. That's, that's like a POA, a shorter horse. And they and they, that's an, if it's a niche that that horse needs to fill, then maybe not, but ideally centers want a horse that can do those things because what if you get to do an intake and now we have a rider that need a little rider that needs a platform. So it, ideally you'd want them trained all the way around. And so if you have a good staff, I don't know that any horse couldn't be trained to go through that ramp. I think if you take your time and you're patient, I, I think it can be done with any horse. Yeah, I think you're right. A lot of it has to do with taking the time um, and being patient with the horse. Yes. Um, absolutely. But I know I've also seen um, some programs that are much larger are really lucky and they are able to uh, occasionally have horses that don't have to wear all the hats. But most of the programs are not that lucky, correct? Correct. Yeah. Typically, adaptive riding programs are nonprofits and they are typically run on a shoestring budget. So they can't afford to have a horse that only can do limited amounts of riders. They pretty much have to have horses that are all around with, so they can put pretty much as long as the weight limit works, any rider on that horse. Yeah, absolutely. And then once horses are in the program and being used on a regular basis, um, how do you keep those horses fit? Because it does sound like most often they have riders that may not be 100% balanced. So how do you help keep those horses fit and balanced? All right. So there's two, sex, two separate categories to when we have our staff or any programming that I've been to ride the horses. So there's a schooling category, and that'll be for a horse that needs brushing up on their aids or they're having a behavioral problem, that kind of thing. So we have staff that will address schooling issues. The other side of it is conditioning. So the, they say a long-backed horse that the back, they need their back built up or they just need more stamina. So we work those through with doing, going over cabalettis, going up, doing hill work, um, doing suppling and lateral work to help build their endurance. But the other important thing is because this job is so incredibly hard for these horses, they need a break. They need other sorts of cross training in order for them to stay alert and maintain their emotional stability. So every center I've worked at, we ride them on a regular basis with trained staff or volunteers. Uh, where I'm currently working, they go on trail rides. And we have lots of trails that the horses can go on. And remember, too, most centers, they'll, they'll have sessions that are either five to six weeks, and then there'll be a week or two off. So that gives their horses time to rest and recalibrate. And, and that's the time also that they'll take them on trail rides and just, or maybe do some liberty work with them just to have fun. So you've got to have something in place that maintains the emotional stability of that horse. Yep. Just like we, we talk about burnout in uh, 
in our own lives as instructors and program directors and whatnot, uh, we have to remember that when we're thinking about the care and ongoing training of our horses. So that is really important. Thanks, Debbie. Yeah, yeah, very, very important. I'll see horses that have come in being bright and alert and kind of goofy. And then a year or two later, they've lost their affect, which then means that horses shut down. That'd be the time if you can, it's hard, but if you can pull them out of the routine and start working with them with something completely different to give them a mental break. Yep, it is. It's so, so important, especially like you said, um, the large majority of horses that are really worth it and amazing. Um, it's our job as uh, instructors and trainers to keep them um, within our program because it sounds like it's very time consuming to find um, and then bring on board and train a therapeutic riding horse. So keeping the ones that you have is important. It is. And most centers typically don't have budgets to buy horses. So most of them are relying on um, donations or a feed lease where they're just taking care of the horse. Where I'm currently working, they actually do buy their horses and we brought horses in from all over the country. But either way, it's a huge time commitment and takes a lot of energy to get these horses ready. So you want to do everything that your center can to take care of them. And that might include body work with them. Um, we have a couple of horses right now that get injections every month because they're older and that just to keep their joints supple, um, being sure to have their nutrition, a nutrition program for each horse that individually is focused on the needs of that horse. So all those things come into play. Um, you know, of course, regular farrier um, and well, whatever deworming program, hopefully fecals that you endeavor in. And so, all those, it's a lot of work to keep these horses going and they deserve it. They deserve every second of it. Yep, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more having worn uh, the therapeutic riding instructor hat myself. I think that, um, that the horses that come into programs and I've worked at different ones around the country as well are, are very unique and special. Um, but they are always uh, interesting because you can go and you can see all different types of breeds um, at programs. Um, so there really isn't one specific um, type of horse that you'll see. Uh, do you guys have a wide selection where you are right now? We do. We have everything from a 14.3 narrow barreled um, quarter horse, which are hard to find, up to uh, we have a Frisian mare. We've got two draft horses uh, for our riders that need the, that size of horse. And then we've got different uh, Tennessee Walker, you know, different horses in between. So because you as an instructor, you have to be super conscious of your horse rider match. And so you need that variety to be able to make the correct match have the tack that'll fit both horse and rider. Um, it's it's a process to get everything in order to in order to have that rider on. Yep. Well, 
I think it's, it is very interesting to me. And I think it's something that we'll probably continue to, to talk about and share because it is, um, definitely a growing, um, area in the equine industry, um, both for jobs for horses and for, um, instructors and equine facility managers. Um, so thank you for sharing with us how you personally have been involved um, at the variety of different programs that you've been at um, and how you see courses and maintain them and train them for the specific niche of working with individuals with special needs, Debbie. Oh, you're welcome. Well, that was a great conversation about the horses involved in these kinds of programs. Next up, we're going to talk to Dr. Pebbles about the business side of it. Well, I really am so very lucky to introduce um, my friend Pebbles Tribaville, who is the executive director for Horses and Humans Research Foundation. She um, is a doctorate in sports management with an emphasis in leadership, um, and she's been at a number of places, and I'm going to let her talk a little bit about her journey and how her career led her to this unique position she's in in the equine industry, um, but Pebbles did serve on the North American Riding for the Handicapped Association, now PATH International's Board of Directors, and that's how we met. Um, so, Pebbles, I'm really excited to um, talk with you today a little bit more about Horses and Humans Research Foundation, but if you could share with us first, again, how you ended up in this unique position. <laughs> Okay. I, well, first of all, I just wanted to say thank you for inviting me uh, to this podcast. I really appreciate the opportunity to be able to speak about Horses and Humans Research Foundation. Um, and really, uh, to get to this journey, it's been my life has been very progressive about my purpose in life. And so this was really the next step for me. Uh, I taught at St. Andrews University and the well, taught equine studies as well as sports management. Um, and my biggest gig there was the therapeutic horsemanship director, where I taught therapeutic horsemanship classes. Uh, so I think now being the executive director of Horses and Humans Research Foundation, I'm in a position where I can help actually everyone in EAS, equine assisted services, but also my students who you know, I taught for almost 20 years and put the students out in the field. So now I'm kind of in a situation that we're supporting them and their and their position with research. Um, we don't, <coughs> excuse me, um, we don't actually do the research, but we facilitate the research in equine assisted services. Yeah, it so is amazing. You. Yeah, and I'm I'm very proud to be in this position. It's um it's very exciting. We've got a lot of different programs going on right now, <clears throat> as well as grants that we're um, awarding. We're in a position right now where we're about to award an innovative grant for ten thousand um, dollars, and then we just made a call for a grant for seventy five thousand dollars. Um, and that basically um, is in equine-assisted services that really supports uh, individuals with social, physical, cognitive, 
mental and emotional and spiritual aspects of how the horse helps them. So we're really looking at the one health concept that's defined by CDC of the goal of achieving optimal health, overcoming and recognizing the interconnection between people, animals, plants, and their shared environment. So we feel like this is a perfect place for horses and humans to really fit in um, for research. So in the time that Horses and Humans Research Foundation um, has been around, it's, it's been around for a number of years now. Um, how many research projects has um, HHRF funded, Pebbles? Do you know? Uh, yeah, we actually, we were founded in 2005 um, and we've granted $650,500 in um, grants. So basically um, um, over half a million dollars um, and we have had 14 good research studies completed. Um, they're all on our website, and so you can go and see those abstracts um, that actually tell you about the research, but you can get that information. And most of them have been published, which is something that we really want rigorous research that um, can be shared, but also that helps the industry kind of set the bar with research. And you talked a little bit about some of the projects, um, your innovation grant, which is a smaller grant. And then, um, so there's different types of research projects that you fund. Can you talk about the different types of research? Sure. Yeah. So far, um, we've had different ones. The board kind of decides on what our theme will be or if they do have a theme or if they want to go in a particular area. Um, but some of the topics that we've covered has been um, cerebral palsy, uh, autism, uh, veterans with post-traumatic syndrome. We actually did a youth um, study that <clears throat> they actually had post-traumatic syndrome as well. Um, and we did an innovative grant for the use of technology. Um, so a lot of what also dictates what we call for is actually how much money we've raised so we know how much money we can give. Um, for example, if I, if we had a pot full of money, I would be making calls for grants and all different, well, I shouldn't say I, but we could um, <laughs> make more, more, more calls for different grants in different areas because really the sky's the limit. Um, you know, we all know that horses help humans, but what we're trying to do is explain how they help humans. Um, and how they help humans with disabilities or just how they help humans in general. So as you were just saying, it would be great to have a giant pot of money. Wouldn't we all like that? Um, <laughs> <laughs> that would be wonderful. Yeah. I'd love the pot at the end of the rainbow. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking about. You know, it is March and leprechauns. And so, yeah, if I could have a, a giant pot of you know, bullion for uh, gold for uh, research. That would be awesome because I would do all different types of research in all different areas. Um, for example, like how horses help, you know, humans who are recovering from cancer or um, how they help us um, get over trauma or how they help us physically 
um, you know, with different aspects that we might have with our own bodies. Um, so the other piece, though, too, even though we're looking at the human, we also want to start um, funding research that also looks at the horse piece. Uh, we've really developed a great equine well-being committee who are putting out some great information um, about how we can be helping our equine partners because the healthier they are and happier they are, um, the healthier and happier we're all going to be. So that's something that we've kind of branched off and not only in that area for equine well-being, but um, we're also doing research or facilitating research. But HHRF in the past two years has also taken off in education in the sense that we're educating people about research because we don't want it to be all scary and stiff and like, oh, I can't understand research. We want everyone to understand it and embrace it and understand what the purpose of it is, um, as well as, you know, get the researchers together so that they can connect um, and talk about what they are working on. So we're not in silos and doing our own thing. We really want everyone to connect um, and learn and share. So we're all kind of, you know, everyone's learning for everyone's benefit. Yep. I, I know I watch all the time and see, and I've seen it over the, the last number of months that HHRF has been offering a lot of free educational webinars that support, um, as you said, just information about research, but also about other related topics. Um, and I think those are great opportunities for um, any instructors or equine professionals out there looking for CEUs. Um, CHA would definitely accept those for CEUs. Um, and you said earlier that there's one you have coming up, but um, are there any that you would like to just touch on briefly? Because I think you're right. That's a great way to connect people. Um, and it is kind of a new area for HHRF. Yeah, we started doing the webinars um, like everybody else during the pandemic, um, finding that an opportunity to educate everyone and still connect everybody. Uh, but we find that, that we're really having a following and we record them. They're not anything really sophisticated um, because they're a Zoom call, but we do feel like that people really want to know, or perhaps we're also international. We have an international following and we also have funded, um, you know, we take, we take grant proposals internationally and we funded one in Germany and three in Canada. So uh, we have an international following and sometimes, you know, they can't be up in the middle of the night and who would want to be up unless you're that kind of night owl watching a webinar. So we record it so people can watch them later. Uh, and so we built a YouTube channel and all of them are on there so everyone can visit. But we also did a conference last year in um, August in Chagrin Falls at Fieldstone Farm. And we actually had a professional come in and record those sessions. So those are also up on our YouTube channel. And they vary depending on the studies. I mean, some have covered um, EAS and senior citizens and how the horses help, help them. There's been talk about fireside chats about trauma. 
Um, we've also are really working on getting a platform for research that's open access so that everybody can get to research because a lot of them are behind paid walls and you can't, um, unless you're at a university, you can't really get to that research. So we're trying to make sure that everyone can see and understand as well as, you know, find that research. Um, but a lot of our other webinars are basically people who are sharing their research, but maybe also trying to recruit people about what they're, um, what they're going to try to do in the future, or maybe what they're thinking about in the future. Um, and sometimes our, be our best webinars are when we have panels. So we have a, like a panel that might be in a certain topic, and um, that way we have different people representing those areas, and they give their home perspective about research or what their organizations are doing. So, yeah, we have a, a variety. We're like the 31 flavors of research on the YouTube. Oh, <laughs> that's awesome. That sounds like fun. I've seen some of them. I need to check them all out. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. You've just tapped into my ice cream obsession. I'm in. <laughs> yeah, you know. You can, well, that's what I try well, with research. You know, I don't want people to think it's dry and boring. <laughs> so that's part of my job because a, I do have a sense of humor. I mean, hello, my name is Dr. Pebbles Turbyville. I'm a cartoon <laughs> name and with a, with a EDD in front of it. But um, yeah, so I try to keep it light and humorous and approachable because again, I just don't want it to be so stiff and scary that people are like, ah, oh, research is, I can't get through a study, you know, um, it needs to be understood. And that's another one of our goals is that we want to break it down. Um, and so that practitioners and instructors know what the study means and how it relates to them and their students or their clients. Um, so that's a big one of our new avenues that we're approaches we're going to. Well, that's really exciting, especially uh, from my own layperson standpoint, Pebbles, because I am not a researcher, um, but I do realize how important it is having been um, started out in equine assisted activities um, myself. And so I agree. I think it's great. And um, I know I personally appreciate um, the work that Horses and Humans Research Foundation does. I think the one last question I really have for you is where and how do you fund all these amazing projects? <laughs> uh, we get funding from specifically individuals who are really excited about uh, research. Um, we have some really good investors in research, I should say. Um, and then, you know, sometimes we have some family foundations who also donate to us, but that's something that I would also like to broaden our market. Uh, I would love to see some of the horse industry um, companies get behind us and support like a $10,000 innovative grant. Um, or even do half of it if they can't do 10,000, do maybe five. Um, and that way, what I hope to in the future, or we hope to, 
as you know have an innovative grant as well as a big grant offered it every year but again it takes it takes funds so i'm really making a call if anybody really wants to <laughs> help us out um yeah because again we could do we can facilitate more research we just need the dollars to be able to to make the call um and also facilitate it because a lot of people don't realize not only do when we make a call and we get the grant applications, we have scientific advisors that evaluate the the, um, the, the grant proposals. So they go through a tiered process. So the top ones are go to the board to vote on which one will actually fund. It's kind of set up um, originally like like Michael J. Fox is Parkinson's Foundation. They have a scientific advisory council. And and so when they originally started HHRF, they thought, you know, we need to have this in place so that we can really evaluate what we get to make sure it is the top-notch type of research that we want to fund. Yeah, that's really exciting to know that the research is really high quality. Um, And like you said, it is one projects um, are funded and then happen, even though I know it happens over many years that they are um, published because that's a big yeah. piece of the puzzle. Yeah. Most, yeah. Most of ours are, have been published. So that's a, um, a kind of a feather in our cap that we want to make sure that what we fund does get published. That's exciting. Well, Pebbles, mm-hmm. um, you talked a little bit about, helping people find um, HHRF, but can you let us know one more time where people can tap in and look at research that is out there or even look at um, the current call for proposals that you have available? Uh, Yeah, if you go to our website, which is www.horsesandhumans.org, you can see the research that we have funded under the research tab. Uh, also, under that research tab, you can see what we have called for. And like I said, right now we are are doing a call for, you know, the, how to or our proposal is to investigate the impact of equine assisted services on humans, um, socially, physically, cognitive, mentally, emotional, and spiritually of uh, participants. So. Yeah, and that we are offering seventy five thousand for that grant cycle, up to I should say up to seventy five. Um, but you know there are some different places you can find for research. There's open source, um, open science, and then um, also what we're trying to do, as I said before, is connect researchers. So um, there's some people all over the world who are also interested, and so. On our website, we're making a, a tab so that researchers can connect with each other, kind of like a communication bulletin board. Um, and this is the beginning of what we want to do with a major platform that will share research. Um, also, because we talk about research that's been published and exciting that it's really good. But, you know, the other piece is that we also should talk about research that didn't, didn't go the way we expected that maybe failed because we don't want people to repeat that. Uh, And so sometimes, you know, we get into this whole piece of, oh, it's got to be published and we're going to only talk about this piece. But, you know, it would be a great place if we had 
someplace where people could communicate about things that they've tried and didn't work and why they didn't work. Don't, don't bother with this. We tried it. It it wasn't the result that you anticipated. There you go. See a little myth busting. Good. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because you know, it's, you know, we're all, we're all so gung ho about being successful, but we don't really talk about things that, you know, didn't go well or as expected. Well, it's um, and it's also data is data. There's there's less right. pass and fail, success not success. Data is data, and if you never publish the data, that from the point of view of the goal of your research is negative data. Oh, that's not the the result we hoped for. But if you don't publish it, you're right. Somebody is likely to repeat that and waste some very valuable and hard to come by research dollars by repeating right. that. So why not make that available too? And what's what's the website again? So folks can type it in quick. It's www.horsesandhumans.org. There you go. Thanks so much for coming by, Dr. Pebbles. All right. Thank you. And that's a wrap for today. Find the links to today's guests and show notes at horsesinthemorning.com. You can follow us on Facebook. And where are you going to do that? At Horses in the Morning. Dun, dun, dun. And on, on Twitter, you can look for Horse Radio. Da, da, da. Now, if folks want to learn more about the CHA, what you guys offer, what you're up to, et cetera, et cetera, where, they do, where do they do that? All they have to do is go to CHA.horse, H-O-R-S-E. Da-da. And horse, uh, CHA, Certified Horsemanship Association, brings you this show every month. So thanks to the sponsor is thank you very much. And you can find horses in the morning as well as all of the other podcasts on horse radio network, part of the equine network family on your favorite podcast player. And most cell phones nowadays come with a native player on them or choose the one you like best. See you next month. Thanks coach Jen. 